Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. This is Jude verse 10. He says, But these speak evil of, of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they are gone the way of Cain. They run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Um, There's a lot there, and I'm not going to go back over all of it. But essentially verse 10 is referring to the verses prior there. But it says, basically Jude is saying, that group of people, um, the examples that he gave, judge spiritual things by their flesh. They look at spiritual things, and, and, and there is some correlation between what we see in the Spirit and what you see in, in nature, but not perfect correlation. And you have to, in fact, Paul said um, in 1 Corinthians 2.14, he says, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Until you are born again, you can't understand the Bible. I remember when I taught um, my very first teaching assignment, I'm going back to the mid-70s, I had a, a good friend, he was the track coach, and I was um, his assistant. And when I... Um, as their description was, I got religion, and I got radical religion. I mean, I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and I was driving 50 miles to get to the church I was attending. So they thought I, I just, I went nuts. I was crazy. And this guy told me, he said, look, I have read the Bible through at least 10 times. He said, I'm telling you, there are thousands and thousands of contradictions. It does not make any sense. And I looked at him and I said, brother, I love you, but I'm going to tell you, you can read it another thousand times. It's never going to make sense to you because you're not saved. When I wasn't saved, it didn't make sense to me. And when I got saved, suddenly I read scriptures and it's like, oh, oh, that makes sense. If it, if it, it, it'd be like you reading a letter written to someone else and you just... You don't get the euphemisms. You don't get the little quaint sayings that people that know one another. I mean, if you've been married more than a, a week, there are looks that your wife will give you that you understand without any explanation. No words have to be expressed. You just know what that look means. And anyone that you have a relationship. My mother used to be able to arrest us. I didn't even have to know she was looking at me. She could be standing behind me, and if I got that stare, you could, you could feel the eyes on the back of your head. It's that way with the Word. When we are born again, we're in tune. Suddenly, our spirit is communicating with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's living on the inside of us, and suddenly this stuff starts to make sense. But to the natural man, they don't understand it, so they try to understand it by applying natural principles, and it doesn't work. But when you do that, you fall short. Verse 11, um, Jude gives us three examples. He, and any verse that starts to woe, with the word woe, 
you need to pay attention to because you don't want God to say, whoa. Because when he starts pronouncing woes on your life, man, that's just, that is not a good thing. That's like when growing up when in, in our family there were three boys and when you heard Dennis John Scott, you know somebody was about to die. Because she, she was so angry she couldn't get one name out. So she just said the first name to all three of us and we all three came to attention and waited. That's what woe means. He says, woe to them for they've gone in the way of Cain, they've run greedily in the way error of Balaam for profit and they've perished in the rebellion of Korah. Cain was an example because Cain was motivated by jealousy. He was jealous of Abel. He could not stand it. God is blessing Abel for a sacrifice, and I'm bringing just, I'm working just as hard at my sacrifice as he is, and I'm not getting blessed, and that makes me angry. And I'm angry at God, but what are you going to do with God? There's nothing you can do to God, so I'm going to go after Abel. And he killed him. He murdered him. Jealousy, it, it, may not, it may not bring you to physical murder, but in the same way that, that Jesus pronounced in, in, in the Gospels, you know, the, the law says that a man shall not commit adultery with a woman, but I'm telling you, if you look on a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. In the same way, if you hate your brother, if you have anger towards your brother, you have murdered him. We can get over into the... To, the, the, the acts and, and the, the uh, attitude of, of Cain quicker than we want to admit. And, we, and when you do that, fortunately, we do have the Spirit of God on the inside of us, and He will reach up and He'll start scratching at you. He will not let you go. He will bug you. He will irritate you. You will just know something is wrong, something's not right in here. And, you, and when that happens, you need to start doing an examination. The second one that they, they mention is Balaam. The person that's, that Balaam looked at everything and judged everything by money. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says that the love of money, not, money is not the problem, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. If you notice in the, in the New King James, it says all kinds of evil. Though That's in italics. That means it's not in the original Greek, I prefer the King James. The love of money is the root of all evil. Why? Because you're judging the world, you're judging actions by the almighty dollar. And you're going to do whatever it takes to get money if, that, if you're running in the era of Balaam. In 2 Timothy 3.2, where, where Paul lists out the, the, the traits of, of people in the end times... He says, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. We need money, and God's not opposed to money. That God has people in the world that He has made rich because He needs people to be rich to fund the gospel. Let's face it, you cannot preach the gospel without money to buy cars, put gas in your car, print materials, we, we received an offering around Christmas for the Gideons. They, they print Bibles pretty cheap. Five bucks a Bible, I'm telling you what, that is, that is not much money for, for what it takes to print that Bible. But it still costs something. And then you have, not only have to print it, you've got to ship it, 
You've got to get it to people. And without that money, the gospel doesn't go around the world. But if you get your emphasis on the money, not on the gospel, your emphasis is wrong and you're running after Balaam. And then the, the last one was Korah. And in the rebellion of Korah, Korah took authority where God had not appointed him. God had appointed Aaron to do the, the, um, um, the sacrifice. And Korah said, I can do it just as well as Aaron. Look at him. I mean, it, it, it'd be like, and I've used this as a joke before, when, when um, uh, Moses held up the rod and split the Red Sea. You know, it would, have been, it would have been comical for Moses to turn around and look at, the, look at the Israelites and say, did you see how I held that stick? I, it was that stick holding that got that seed up. Well, it wasn't the physical actions of Aaron. It was the anointing that, and the calling of Aaron to do the, the work of the ministry in that tabernacle. And Korah said, I have just as much authority as you do. I'll bring my fire. And God said, bring it on. And not only Korah died, but thousands of his followers died. Um, David had it right. And in, 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 um, God had called David to be king. He had anointed David to be king, but Saul was still in the position. And David said, I will not touch God's anointed. And yet Saul wasn't anointed at that time. But David still, he, he knew there was such, um, that God put such a premium on, on the, the, the anointing and the call that had been on Saul that David was going to let God take care of Saul. And when God took care of Saul, then I will step into the anointing he's given me and the call he's given me. But not until God dealt with it. And he stayed out of it. Korah, on the other hand, pushed in and died for his trouble. Now, let's go on with, with in Jude, let's go on with verse 12. In general, all of these guys that we have been talking about, he said, they are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn leaves without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging Waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Verse 12, when it says they are spots in your love feast, um, the word there for spots, for spots really would be better translated that they are like a reef that's hidden. You know, if, if, you're, if you're a sailor, you're in a ship, you need to watch out for the rocks. I don't care how, how tough your ship is. Not just a few years ago, there was a passenger um, ship, and I, I think it was off the coast of Italy, where the captain decided his girlfriend or somebody was in a big, big um, house close to the shore, and he decided to get out of the shipping channel and go up and wave to her, honk the horn at her, trying to impress her. And he sunk a modern um, tourist ocean-going liner because there were hidden rocks, hot rocks he did not know were there. And he ripped the entire hull out of that thing, and it sank. And several people died, and he went to jail. I also believe probably, I think alcohol was probably involved in there somewhere, which is 
good reason to avoid that stuff. But, but the problem wasn't, the, wasn't his intentions. The problem was he didn't know all the dangers that hid. These people, he says, they are hidden rocks in your love feast. And, and the reason, it says, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. When we, we talked about this in men's prayer yesterday. If you want to get to the root of every sin, it comes down to selfishness. It's putting my wants above what God wants first and foremost, but again, above what other people want. The, the whole call of the Christian life is to be a servant. It's why we looked, if you remember, the very first lesson in Jude was he was a bondservant. Peter was proud to say, I'm a bondservant. Paul was proud to say, I'm a bondservant. I am a slave of Christ. I have no rights. None. When I call on his name, now the, the, the ironic part is, and I used this quote in, in another sermon a few weeks ago, and I forget who, who it, was. Uh, it was. I think it was Rousseau. Uh, one of the philosophers said that, that man is born free, and yet everywhere he's in chains. And really the, the spiritual reality is, is we're born in chains, and the only true freedom comes when you make yourself a slave of Christ. And we are quick to say, well, I, want, I, I, I have made Jesus my Savior. Great. There's another side to that coin. It's like water and wet. They come together. If you're going to make Jesus your Savior, you also have to make Him your Lord. If you do not make Him your Lord, you aren't, He is not your Savior. Salvation is not fire insurance. It's servitude. It's saying, you own me. You paid for me. You bought me. I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to do everything I can to follow your word and to follow your will. And if you're not willing to make that sacrifice and change whatever needs to be changed, and let me tell you, change is not easy. That's why it takes us a lifetime to make some of the changes that we have to do. I mean, I've said it before. I was born again at eight years old. I'm 67. I'm still, God is still dealing with me. In fact, there are times when God deals with me harder now than he did when I was eight, nine, 10, 12, teenager. Why? Because if you're alive and you're serving him, He's going to keep pointing out things that need to be changed. Now, hopefully, the big ones, I've already dealt with. But no matter how mature you get, God is still going to say, okay, here's the line you need to walk. Now, used to, you could walk over here, and I would, I would excuse it because you were a child. But you're not a child anymore. You need to get on the straight and narrow. And I'm telling you, He has called me up short. He has called me up so short and so hard that it's like, Lord, I need a little grace. I need a little mercy. And He said, why do you think you're still alive? <laughs> I'm pouring out my grace and my mercy on you because I haven't. there hadn't been a lightning bolt come out of heaven and fry you yet. If you think you're, you know, you're not a, a, a party to God's grace and, mer grace and mercy, you're just not aware. But these people, because they are self-serving, are, are, are pulling people aside. People watch them, and sometimes, Peter dealt with this, sometimes we look at them and think, well, they're wealthy, so they must 
have something about them. Well, you can, be, you can be successful in the world. Look at Bill Gates. That man's, I don't know how you describe how wealthy he is. I don't know that he could spend all the money he's got buying stuff. I don't know if it's physically possible. And yet, and he is successful. He has transformed our world with, with um, between he and, and um, the guy that did Apple, I forget, Steve Jobs, between Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, they have changed the way our world works with, with personal computers. Cell phones wouldn't exist if those guys hadn't done what they did or somebody like them. And yet, everything I've ever heard from, from Bill Gates, he doesn't know Jesus at all. He's, he's like what we said in, in 1 Corinthians twelve fourteen. He's a natural man who dismisses the spiritual because he doesn't understand it, and so he rejects it. He's got all the wealth in the world and no spiritual understanding. We can't just judge by, by how people... You can't even judge by how people behave sometimes. You've got to judge them by their heart, and that only comes from the Lord. In fact, we don't even want to be judging them, but we do judge actions because I... I well, Brother Hagin said it years ago. He said, you may not learn everything from some people, but you can at least learn not what not to do. Even the worst example, you can learn what not to do. But hopefully we're, we're, we're on a path and we're, we're dealing with ourselves and saying, God, I'm not where I want to be because I'm not where you are. I'm not walking perfect yet, and I'm, but I'm working on it. I'm trying. I'm arresting my own spirit. I'm arresting my own emotions. I've got to deal with, with what, what's your will in my life. And I, it's, it's not, it can never be a self-serving. How do we judge that? The rest of verse 12. They're clouds without water. They're carried about by the winds. They're laid autumn trees without fruit. Twice dead, pulled up by the roots. James says it in James 2.18. Some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Faith without works is dead. I may say I'm a Christian. If I don't have the works of a Christian, then there's a problem. I'm not saying that you're not a Christian if you don't have the works. Because let's face it, we all get over in the flesh sometimes, and if you judge us by those moments, you'd say, wow, that guy ain't even saved. But overall, I have to, and, and, and where it really comes down to, I have to judge me. Jesus said it, judgment starts at the house of God. He's going to hold me to a stricter um, judgment than, than any of you, because I'm, I'm up here teaching the Word. And He will pull me up short quicker than He does you, because I have an influence over more people than, than, than you might have. That does not mean, and the key for me, keep in the Word and keep judging myself. That's each of our responsibility. God, where am I falling up short? Where is my fruit? Where is my... my um, where are my works? 2 Timothy 3.5 says, These people have a form of godliness, but denying its power from such people turn away. Now, that, that, quite literally, that's talking about people who, who, who wear the brand of Christian, but they're not Christians. And you see those churches and those people all over. They're, well, last week I, I said... With the third commandment, don't take the, the, you know, the name of the Lord in vain. One of the best examples 
was that group of so-called ministers that prayed a blessing over um, an abortion center. I don't care if, you're, if you call yourself a Christian. If you're praying blessings on a building where people are going to go in and kill children, you're not a, you're not a Christian. I, that, that may seem hard, but that's just kind of how it is. If you live in Texas, they would, tell, they would just say, you're all hat, no cattle. You know? In fact, I, I was joking with my son-in-law, because he's um, um, from Wyoming, you know, grew up on a ranch, but he joined the FFA. So I'm constantly telling him he's a farmer, not a rancher. Well, you tell a rancher they're a farmer, it, it just, it's a little irritating. And I just, once I figured out I could irritate him, I just, I have never stopped. You know? That's the job of parents when you have younger children to embarrass them, and when you have a son-in-law, you, you just need to irritate him every once in a while. But I, I, someone had posted a picture of, of um, cowboy sandals instead of cowboy boots, or cowboy boot sandals. And basically, it's sandals with the, the calf uppers of, a, of cowboy boots. And so I sent a picture to Matt on Facebook, and I said, you know, this, I, this looks like something that you ought to start a fashion trend in Arkansas with. And it was his reaction. I could just see him rolling his eyes. Oh, man. But, you know, there are a lot of people. You can go to Wyoming. You can go to the cities. You can go anywhere out west, and you're, you walk down the street, you're going to see people with cowboy boots. You're going to see people with cowboy hats. And they've never st- stepped in the mud. They've never walked through a feedlot that where you, you don't wear your boots because... You know, if you, you may just pull your foot right out of them because the, it goes that deep. Just because you have the appearance doesn't mean you have the heart. We have to judge, you know, these people are what Judah's saying is they have no fruit. I got to judge myself and say, where's my fruit? If I'm not producing fruit, then what's the problem? Well, there's a problem somewhere It's with me. And i got to judge myself and work on that. Verse 14, Jude says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. There is a day of judgment coming. Now, we need to be careful. Uh, when Tiffany was little, when we were in Tulsa, I was going to Bible school, um, she had a little friend named Dixie. And I like Dixie. Dixie was, she was a pistol. But Dixie and Tiffany were in her room playing one day, and every once in a while we'd hear, ow! And so we went to investigate. After you hear, ow, a dozen times, it's like, yeah, maybe we ought to figure out what's going on. Well, when Tiffany would do something Dixie didn't like, Dixie would just look at her and say, Oop, you sowed a bad seed. Here's your crop. And she'd whack her one. (laughs) There is a day of judgment coming. I'm not the one that executes the day of judgment. (laughs) You need to make that clear to yourself. I don't judge. I don't bring judgment. But I do know, and it's part of the reasons that that we, we can stay secure in our faith is I know that God is the ultimate judge. 
Matthew 7 tells us, don't judge others until you have first judged yourself. He said, don't try to remove the speck out of your brother's eye when you have a plank in your eye. Well, the best thing to do is just deal with the plank in your eye and forget what, what everybody else is doing. But we do know, we, 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 we know ultimately that there is that judgment. We are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he's going to judge our works as Christians. And the works that we did out of the flesh, they're just going to be smoke and ash. But the works that we did out of the Spirit, because we were inspired by the Spirit to do something, hard or not hard, doesn't matter. It's just, he said to do this and I obeyed him. Those works will, will survive that refining fire and that will be part of my reward for all eternity. I don't have to worry about anything other than hearing God, following through and doing what he tells me to do moment by moment by moment. And when I figure out, I'm not quite sure how I got out over in the ditch again. Now, sometimes I know how I got in the ditch because I just, you know, I got angry and I threw a little hissy fit and I jumped in the ditch. Let's face it, we all do that sometimes. But when I'm there, the question isn't to lament and say, oh, I'm in the ditch again. I'm such a horrible person. Well, you're capable of horrid things, but you're not a horrible person. You are the child of God. You are His righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. And you just need to say, Lord, I'm here again. For whatever reason, forgive me. And get back in that narrow. And, and, and what you will find is, it's not, and, and as you get more mature, I find I end up in the ditch more than I used to. And sometimes I've asked myself, why, why, God? Why? Why am I having more, finding myself in the ditch more than I used to? Well, the reason was, is my road keeps getting narrower and narrower and narrower. The more mature I get, the more God expects of me. It's the same reason when I was a teenager and I'm, I'm lifeguarding and making a dollar an hour. At the end of the week, I got paid on Friday. By Saturday night, I was broke. Why? Because I went on a date. And all my money went to the date. Everything I earned, I didn't care. I went home and got food. I had a bed. Dad was providing the bed. He was providing the clothes. He was providing the food. All I had to do was provide for the fun. And I, if I've got $50 worth of, of fun available, I'm having $50 worth of fun. No, no thought about tomorrow. Today, I don't have that luxury. I have to. I'm expected. I'm an adult. I have to prepare for the future. Back then, my dad preached tithing a lot, but he never required us, his kids, to do that. When I raised my kids... They got an allowance. By the time they actually could go to work, they, they knew the principles. But when they were little, they got an allowance. And when they got their allowance, they had their, their envelopes. We were Dave Ramsey affectionarios. They had long-term savings, short-term savings, and tithe. And offerings, four of them. And they had to sit down every time they got their allowance. They sat down and divided up their money. And they put it in those envelopes, and that went in their drawer. And if there were things they wanted to save up for long-term, they saved their money. If they had a short-term goal, they could save money there. But the first two that got filled was their tithe and their offering. 
And we, we had both because they got taught early. Tithes are not offerings. Tithe is a minimum. Offering is above a tithe. And you need to be thinking both ways. By the time, you know, I don't go to my son's house and go to his drawer and say, I want to see your four envelopes, see where, where things are. I expect him, he's over 40 now, got four kids. I can tell you he's practicing those principles because I see the fruit in his life. But, but it's, 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 as he gets older, as we all get older, God narrows down that road and we can't do the things we used to do. When I was in diapers, you know, if I had the urge, I let go of the urge. Can't do that today, you know. It is funny, though, the older you get, you realize that, you know, you, you, you do not visit restrooms when you feel the urge. You visit restrooms on a schedule. And the schedule is if I pass a restroom, you go to the restroom. Never mind. Those of you that are over 60 understand what that means. But then we, we have Jude 16, and this is, we're going to finish up with this today. He said, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. They mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons causing divisions not having the Spirit. Basically, and that's why if you look in the bulletin today, I put in that devotion about grumblers. You know, we all have a tendency to gripe and complain. Grumble. Grumble, grumble, grumble. I, um, you have to be a certain age to understand this, but if you remember back in the 80s, um, there was um, the Willie George program. Wow, am I the only one that remembers Willie George? I, was, I wasn't raised on Willie George because I was an adult in the 80s, but my kids watched Willie George. They loved Willie George. Well, there was one Willie George episode, and I have looked everywhere for it. I would love to have that one 30-minute program. And it was when Nicodemus, um, I forget who it was, one of the characters just complained and grumbled and complained. And, and through the entire 30 minutes, all you heard was, you complain too much. Well, I... I sometimes think that God sitting in heaven just looking at the Father, they're just complaining too much. For one thing, why do we grumble and complain? And I'm just as bad as anybody else. When in actuality, I have the creator of the universe living on the inside of me. I've been given his word. I've been given his authority. I've been given his name. I've been commanded to, to you go back and, and look at Psalm 133. He tells me where the blessings are. God commands the blessings where there's unity. So I, first of all, I've got to get in agreement with God. And to do that, I've got to figure out what God wants for me. What's God want in general? And what's He want specifically for me for this day? And I've got to stay hooked in. You read the passages in John where Jesus talks about, I am the... I am the, the, the the vine, you are the branches. Well, am I hooked in? Because if I'm not hooked in, I'm going to be like the, the fig leaves that Adam and Eve picked. They covered up pretty well for a while. 
But they wilt once they're cut off from, from, from the, 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 the vine. They can't stay living unless they're hooked in. I can't either. And usually for me, when I, that, that is a good symbol. When I start finding myself grumbling and complaining, I have severed myself from the vine in this area. I've detached myself from the word. I've detached myself. I'm not listening. And I, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean I'm not saved. It doesn't mean I'm not boarding in it. But it means I'm not listening. I'm not hooked in with God intimately following his spirit. Because if I was, I would realize, yeah, this is not, this is not how God... I mean, can you go to the, to the four Gospels and find one place where Jesus ever complained about anything? Never. If he had a problem, he might command something. If he had a problem with the devil, he didn't have a problem commanding the devil out of people. He didn't have a problem walking on water. He didn't have a problem feeding you know, 30,000 people with a little boy's lunch. He didn't sit there like the disciples did and say, oh, Lord, what are we going to do? There's no, there's no place to buy food. We don't have enough to meet the need. He said, well, what do you have? Start with that, and that'll be enough. God will multiply. That is for us, that is the second phrase there, walking according to their own lust. When I start grumbling and complaining, that's a pretty good sign that I've got some things that I want. And I'm not seeing what I want, so I'm going to complain. Unfortunately, God, God doesn't have a complaint window. He doesn't live. Then the other side is, they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Again, they're back to they're not, self, um, they're not sacrificially living. They're self-serving. I am a slave of Christ, which makes me a slave of everyone. Jesus said it. You want, to be, you want to be first? You're going to have to be last. Jesus willingly sat down, put on the apron, and washed the disciples' feet. That I really think that's kind of blind to us, but that was the lowest of the lowest of the lowest job that you could have as a household servant, household slave, to serve, to wash someone's feet. And yet Jesus did it to show, I am the second person of the Godhead. I rule the entire universe. And I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to take the lowest position there is. How can He expects us to do nothing less. Amen? And then, let me finish up. I'm going to jump ahead. We'll, we'll get to this next week, um, 20 through 25. But... God says this at the very end. Jude has been, to be honest with you, he's been kind of a rough little study. God's, there's, there's a lot of rebukes in here, a lot of challenges for people. But he says here in verse 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. I love that. All of these problems, and let's face it, we can, I can give you examples of people that, that meet all these qualifications, but what I have to worry about is, how many of these do I meet the qualifications for that person who God's rebuking? But he says, I am able to keep you from, from stumbling. The second phrase, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. 
To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. Verse 24 sums it all up. You may have every one of those qualities in, in being exhibited in your life. It does not matter. He is able to keep you from stumbling. He is able to present you faultless. This is a little side thought, but I'm going to throw it out there as we close. You go to the book of Revelation and you look at the white throne judgment. We're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ where our, our, the works that we did after we became Christians will be judged. But that's a judgment not on whether we get into heaven, but how many rewards we take with us. That's it. But at the white throne judgment, there's going to be the goats and there's going to be the sheep. We're already going to be in with the sheep, which is an indication of we're not going to be judged there. But the difference is the goats are going to be judged out of the books, plural, of, of um, the books of works. And the people that are, are in that are going to come before God and say, look at all the good things I did. And he's going to say, depart, I never knew you. We, on the other hand, in the sheepfold, will not brag about one thing we did. When he, say, when he turns to judge us, Jesus, who is our advocate, will say, excuse me, Father. Well, he won't because he's actually going to be the judge. But he will point to each one of us and said, that one is here on my dime. He's here because of my blood. He's here because of what I did. Not because of who he is, what he's done in the flesh before he was a Christian or after he was a Christian. I mean, the, 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 um, the true fact is, when we get to heaven, there's going to be some people that we're really going to be surprised that they made it. And there's going to be some people, well, I think when we get there, we're not going to even be aware that those that didn't make it, because I don't know how you would do that and be sad. Now, I know God can do anything. But there, if, if you have perfect memory from your life, there are going to be some people that you would have thought would be here, and they're not going to be there. Because all their works were done to try to earn God's approval, to try to earn God's salvation. And all we got to do is throw ourselves on His mercy, on His grace, and receive His blood. And that's when He says, He'll keep you from stumbling. He'll present you faultless. He'll present, I love, before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. I mean, I... I, I bragging about it, but I almost cried when I, when I got that news about Jack. I, Jack's older than my father would be if my father was still alive. But I consider Jack a friend. He's just such a nice guy. But I look at Jack and I'm thinking in some ways I envy him. If, he, if he's gone in a week and he's gone on to his reward, he's going to be basking in the glory of God. I don't, I don't mourn what he's getting ready to go to. I mourn that I don't have a relationship with them anymore. I can't go talk to him. I can't go sit down. I'll be honest with you, some of it is I will mourn the lost opportunities I had to communicate with him, and then I didn't because I was too busy. I was too busy doing this or that, and I should have had gone and visited with him more than I did. But it doesn't change the fact that when his spirit steps out of his body, he'll be standing in the glory of God.
faultless, full of glory. The same glory that, that, that comes out of Jesus will come out of Jack because he will have the same spirit. The Holy Spirit will still be infilling him when he's there. Amen? And there's coming a day, we didn't get there, but there's coming a day when Jesus returns and we're going to meet him in the air and, and how that spirit is in heaven now I will have a physical body completely remade, completely perfect, no more aches, no more pains, no more artificial joints, no more anything. It's going to be a supernatural body filled with the glory of God just like Jesus's. And his body's over 2,000 years old, still has the scars, still has that hole in his side where the spear went up into his lungs and his heart, and it works perfectly. 2,000-year-old body, unbelievably mangled, and he'll be the only one in heaven with any scars. That's a good day. That's a good day to look forward to. Amen? Now, as we close, what we need to do is ask ourselves, are there any of those places where I, I qualify? Am I, am I jealous? Am I, you know, like Cain was? Am I after money? Is that my motivation for life? Am I just a grumbler? Do, do I have the fruit that matches up my words? Now, let's face it, the fruit will never completely match your words. But are you growing? Are you striving? Are you judging yourself? Are you, are you pulling yourself up and judging yourself harder than you judge others? If you are then God will still be working with you. And that is the key. Am I allowing God to deal with my heart in every circumstances? That's all He asks us to do. Come in, have a relationship with me, and when I speak to you, respond. If that is the case, then we have, we can look forward to verse 24. We can look forward to Him keeping us from stumbling and filling us with His glory and finding us faultless. Because it's all through Jesus. It's not me. It's not my works. It's not my ability. If I rely on my ability, man, I'm going to drown fast. Because I don't have, I, I can't do it. I don't have the ability. Only Jesus does. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.